you know, they, they try to fit you in the mold of go make as much money as you can, get as much power as you can. That's the definition of success. And I really want to challenge that right here to anyone who's listening. Be sure that your definition of success is right for you, for your family, and hopefully people listening here have an understanding of, of the God of the Bible. All right. Well, um, hello and welcome to Integrate Faith and Innovate. I'm Dr. Hannah Stoles, Director of the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation and Professor of Marketing and Supply Chain Management. I'm here with my co-host, F.T. Chong, who is Head of Private Capital at Pine Bridge Investments. Um, this is the podcast for conversations about the integration of faith with practical tips for faithful decision-making in everyday business. And this is season two, episode four. And in this episode, we are delighted to welcome the Honorable Gregory Slayton here with us today. We're so happy to have you here with us. Um, so the Honorable Gregory, Gregory Winston Slayton is an American author, diplomat, professor, businessman, and philanthropist. He was born in Ohio. Slayton now resides in Dallas, Texas with his wife and children. After graduating from Dartmouth College, magna cum laude in 1981, Slayton was a Fulbright Scholar to Asia earning a master's in Asian studies in 1984 with honors from the University of the Philippines. Uh, he then ran regional programs in Asia, Africa, and Latin America for international nonprofits, such as World Vision. And in 1990, he graduated with an MBA honors from Harvard Business School. In his book, Be a Better Dad Today, um, which was published in, um, on Father's Day in 2012, he's also written a book in 2020 um, oh, sorry, as of 2020, there are over 750,000 copies that's been sold. That's amazing. Um, and he's written several other books that I hope he'll tell us a little bit about. Um, and our conversation today with, um, with the Honorable Gregory Slayton will be about tent making. Um, it's a term popularized really by the Lasan movement. Tent making refers to God using people in their regular jobs and businesses to advance his kingdom to fulfill his purposes. Although I don't really think there's anything regular about the jobs and opportunities that um, you have had. Um, before um, the Honorable Gregory Slayton shares with us today about his experiences with tent making, FT, perhaps you could start us off by talking a little bit about faith and how faith and spirituality play a role in our work. Thank you, Hannah. And, um, and I must say, I'm here, uh, not in my official capacity, but also as a parent of, uh, of a student at Wheaton uh, and a supporter of Wheaton. So thank you, Gregory, for joining us. Uh, we started this because uh, as you have and I have and a lot of people have uh, started work uh, in our case in Manhattan. And many times we felt like I'm the only Christian in this building on Park Avenue. Um, and I wanted to give a sense to our audience, working people everywhere that uh, not only are there many Christians, they are Christians at every level, but also at very senior levels of different business organizations all over the city, all over the country, all over the world right now. And to bring some of these people so we don't have so many stealth Christians around and have Christians be part of the whole conversation of how do you run businesses? Uh, and the, the whole thesis was we hire people for IQ, for their EQ, but there's, a, there's another component, the third leg of the stool, which is spiritual quotient, SQ, 
And that comes to the fore uh, during difficult times and also as you become a leader, your the depth and quality of your spiritual maturity and quotient uh, shows up. Um, so so uh, we're talking to a bunch of people with high SQ, uh, you being one. So maybe I can start this off. Um, tell us about um, your early success in the internet, in the e-commerce internet world that allowed you actually put you on a trajectory, right? So God blesses us in different ways to put us on a different trajectory. So tell us about it. Well, thank you, FT. And first of all, it's wonderful to be here with you, Hannah. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I uh, have had tremendous respect for Wheaton College. I myself am a Dartmouth-Harvard guy, as are my kids, but but, uh, but Wheaton is a fantastic school. And like UFD, we've always uh, had a lot of uh, respect for the school. So it's great to be with you today. Uh, I'm gonna keep my answers fairly short, but that's a big question you asked FT. And the, and the answer really is for me, you know, I mean, I wanna be honest, I didn't have the kind of success that some of my peers have had. I just wanna be honest about that. And I think that's God's grace, I wanna be clear. I mean, my very, very close friend, Pat Gelsinger, with whom I've been a prayer and fasting partner, we prayed and fasted weekly for almost 20 years now. He just this past Monday became the CEO of Intel. Now, it doesn't get, you don't get any higher than that in, in, in this world, right? And Pat was uniquely designed and I believe gifted for that role. And I believe he's going to do a fantastic job. I do believe that God had a different plan for me. And so I never have been and never will be in that rarefied atmosphere, CEO of a Fortune 100 company, but that's okay. Well, tell us about uh, some of the names you were fortunate enough to invest in early on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really by God's grace, very, very early. Uh, I was uh, Harvard Business School, then went to McKinsey and Company. I loved working for the firm, but I'm not really a consultant at heart. And I had a chance to go to Silicon Valley and be an, operate, an operator. And I started at Paramount Technologies, running their uh, Silicon Valley office, helping run their Silicon Valley office. And then I dove in to the deep, you know, the entrepreneurial world uh, was, uh, had a few different executive positions, including president and CEO. We, we, we had some modest successes, nothing fantastic. And I realized that uh, I really wanted to be a venture capitalist. And so we took some of the money from those modest successes and invested them kind of as an angel investor. Uh, two small little companies you might've heard of, one's called Google. If you haven't heard of them, you can Google them. Oh, wait a second, that's the same company. And the other is uh, salesforce.com. And that was honestly, FT, that was God's grace because I am not a fantastic venture capitalist, but I was very blessed. Right, and so that has allowed you to do something different. So tell us about the something different. Well, you know, this is, this is interesting. And I, I hope that, uh, you know, the brethren out there can really hear me when I say that, you know, we, we, are, we don't have a cookie cutter God, right? Everyone who goes to Wheaton or Harvard or Stanford, you know, they, they try to fit you in the mold of, Go make as much money as you can. Get as much power as you can. That's the definition of success. And I really want to challenge that right here to anyone who's listening. Be sure that your definition of success 
is right for you, for your family, and hopefully people listening here have an understanding of, of the God of the Bible. Because I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. I became a Christian through my Chinese family. It's a long story. My dad abandoned me anyway. Um, and it was them that taught me that there is a living and a true God who has a plan for each one of us. Now, we don't have time to go into detail on that, but the important thing is, what is that plan, right? Is it Harvard's plan for me that I become a billionaire and give them a couple million dollars a year? Is that the right plan for me? Or is the right plan for me something else? And I believe that for every one of us, there's a plan. And I believe that the Lord has me walking in that, in that direction. So amazing. When I, when I was reading your bio, there were so many things that, that you've done. I, I just had the opportunity to be a Fulbright scholar last year. I love, I've lived in China and Asia and um, there's so much about your background that I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish we had an hour. Um, but one of the things that you just said really caught my attention and it, it ties into one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about Slate and Capital. And on your website, there's a quote that says, helping great entrepreneurs build great companies for the greater good. And we all know Google and Salesforce, and we know that they are great companies. And, um, and maybe they've done some things for the greater good. But when you have that statement on your, you know, looking at how you're investing now, what does the greater good look like for you? And, and can you tell us some stories about maybe companies that you've come alongside or invested in sure. that have done that? Absolutely. Absolutely, Hannah. And that has been our motto for about 20 years. Honestly, I don't think that was our motto way back at the very beginning of Slayton Capital when we invested in Salesforce and Google and a bunch of other companies, some of which did pretty well. Uh, but it's become our motto more and more strongly. And now it is really kind of a defining parameter for us. Uh, there needs to be great entrepreneurs. It needs to be a great company. And I can define that for you if you're interested. And it needs to be for the greater good. And first and foremost, what that means is that's not another gaming company to, to get kids addicted to, to their phones, right? Mm -hmm. It's not cigarettes, it's not alcohol, it's not the obviously bad things. But also it's not something that, 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 that could be used against humanity. I mean, there's a lot that, that you're familiar with what's going on in China and other authoritarian countries, right? I don't wanna say much more on that, but suffice to say a lot of technology can be used in ways that dramatically hamper individual liberty. So that's something else that we are very careful about. Excellent. Um, and so FT also started us off with talking about tent making. So I'd like to kind of circle back to that. And what is tent, like, could you define it for us? What does tent making mean um, well, to you? <laughs> you know, of course, the original definition comes from the Apostle Paul, right? Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, Paul was a tent maker. And literally, he made tents. And he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't, basically, that allowed him to support himself and give to the work of the Lord. That is basically the, 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 the broad brush definition of tent making today. We have a pretty large ministry focused on Asia. We're in 12, we're, we're actively in 12 Asian nations and we'll, we're serving millions and millions of families. I, don't, I am the chairman of Family First Global and the Fellowship of Fathers Foundation. I don't take a dime from that organization. And in fact, we give substantially to that organization. And that is the Old Testament. I mean, that's the New Testament model. That's what tent making is. And it's very effective for a whole lot of reasons. So proud to be a tent maker, proud to be following in a very, very humble way in the steps of the Apostle Paul. 
Yeah, how, how much time do you spend? Uh, you know, so one of the, I think, um, so there are different approaches to tent making. One is you're living from hand to mouth and actually doing minimum waste jobs to so that you can be an evangelist or whatever you want to do. There is more like your style, which I think you're not living from hand to mouth. Uh, but then the question is how much how how much time you spend on each? How do you divide up your time? Yeah, well, that's a great question, FT. And and for me, of course, it's going to be different for different people. Yeah. But for myself, I over time I'm thinking probably it's fifty to sixty percent for the ministry and forty to fifty percent for Slayton Capital. And I want to be clear, Slayton Capital, you know, it's not like we're investing in Google and Salesforce every year. Right. I mean, we've had some very lean years. We've invested in some in companies that didn't perform as as, as we had hoped. Uh, that's just reality. But again, for me, I think that God knew that if I had had tremendous success financially, that could have very easily taken my heart away from him. That's just the truth. about. Yeah, I know sure. that about myself. I know. Sure. That. And so, you know, it's it's a bit like. David says in the Psalms, said, Lord, don't make me too rich that I can, cur you know, that I've turned away from you or too poor that I curse you. And that's the Lord has been very gracious to us, very gracious. And I'm thankful for it. And what we have extra, we put directly into trying to help families all around Asia. Yeah. And, uh, and the people who are involved with uh, the two ministries, uh, say who lead the, Philippi the Philippines group or whatever, are they full-time ministry people? Uh, actually, all of our board and our leadership are all tent makers. That's mm -hmm. one of the reasons that we can serve millions and millions of people on a, on a tiny, tiny budget, right? Uh, you know, this is something, I'll just be honest, I don't think that the business model of traditional American Christianity the huge overheads, the big buildings, the campus in Colorado Springs that costs you know, literally millions of dollars a year just to turn the lights on and get the people their salaries and stuff. I'm not sure that's sustainable. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just not sure it's sustainable. There's a reason that Paul was a tent maker. It just wasn't a lot of money to go around and he wanted the money to go to the ministry. That's not speaking badly about any other ministry because thank God for, for, for everybody that's working in, in God's field. But in terms of, you know, and I think as a venture capitalist, I think about return on investment. When I think as a, as a tent maker, I think about spiritual return on investment. And I think our spiritual return on investment is, is pretty darn high, simply because the investment is so small and the yield is quite large. I love that. On the, in the return on investment space, could you talk a little bit about social ROI? Um, sure. You talk a little bit about it on your website. And even though I know that the, the venture capital is you know, separate, you know, in the way we're defining it right now to your ministry, it seems like there, there is actually synergy um, between the work that you're doing and, and making money, but also investing and sowing that money. Mm -hmm. um, so could you, sorry, could you talk a little about the social ROI space? Yes, yes, certainly. Well, it's different for if you're talking about the venture capital side, or if you're talking about the ministry side, our ministry is in the United States, it's called the Fellowship of Fathers Foundation. It's a 501c3. It's existed for many years. Our operational arm is called Family First Global. So we have right now 12 nations, Family First Taiwan, Family First Indonesia, Family First Singapore, 
Family First Myanmar, Family First Pakistan. You know, we're in some pretty tough parts of the world. Each one of those nations, tent makers run those organizations, right? Now they're all Christians and they all operate according to Christian principles. And one of those principles is social ROI. So uh, spiritual ROI is a different thing. And I can talk about that at some other point if you're interested, but social ROI for us is how many families are touched, how many marriages are strengthened, how many families are brought back together, right? Because we know the research is very clear. All these downstream problems that governments and, and communities struggle with, teen addiction, teen alcoholism, teen pregnancy, teen uh, suicide, which is just climbing everywhere in the world. These all start with broken families. It's not that broken family is the only issue, but it's almost always one of the causal factors, right? And so that's what we're trying to go back to that original root cause and help people to strengthen their marriages and strengthen their families. That's good social ROI for us. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? I mean, it sold 750,000 copies. Yeah. Uh, let me just interrupt you. Both you and <laughs> Hannah have written books. Uh, the good news, here's the good news. I'm probably never gonna write a book. I'm gonna <laughs> read the books. I'm gonna, I'll read the books. Well. FT, it would be an honor to have you read. So, so Hannah, the great news is that the book's now sold over a million copies worldwide. Wow. It's unbelievable. Here's, this is the English you can get on Amazon or whatever. By the way, we give 100% of the royalties to charity, Christian charities. So it's both ours and others. So Be a Better Dad Today, international bestseller. Chuck Colson did the foreword. It was the last, he's a mentor of mine. It was the last foreword he ever did. But the good news is, Pat Gelsinger is doing the new forward and the new version. So that'll be, uh, that'll be exciting. Here, this is kind of an amazing story. Remember my Chinese family, right? So mm -hmm. this book is published by Zhongxing, Citic Press, right? The largest publisher in China. Uh, I won't go into detail because I'm not sure exactly who's going to be listening to this, but that is a miracle, as I'm sure you can, can, can realize. Here's the Burmese version, right? I mean, yeah, whatever. So... But the point is that uh, the book, you know, I'm not a great writer. That's just the truth. But it is an important subject. And I want to urge every single man who's listening to this, you know in your heart that being a father is your most important job. I don't care whether you're an ambassador like I was or a CEO like FT or, or president of the United States. Those jobs are all going to come to an end. But your job as father is never coming to an end. If you do a good job, you get a promotion, become grandfather. Right? But this is a vitally important job. And the book is really just the experience of a guy who studied fatherhood for 30 years, has four children, has made a lot of mistakes, and interviewed a lot of great dads. Um, I mean, Scott Stevenson, for example. You mentioned him earlier, a wonderful father. Right? So, so hopefully this book is, uh, is a blessing to, uh, to many, and hopefully will be a blessing to, to some of the folks uh, listening here to us today. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's... Oh, go ahead, FT. No, I just, how about the U.S.? So you talk about Myanmar and, yeah. and other countries. How yeah. about the U.S.? Well, that's a great question. You know, there are some wonderful ministries, family ministries, obviously family life, obviously focus on the family and others. We, I guess, kind of in my life, I, I've always felt like, hey, go where nobody else is. Right. <laughs> I mean, when when Salesforce started, you know, 
software as a service didn't even exist. That term didn't exist, right? So kind of go where nobody else is. That's, a, that, that's, that's worked well for us. It's a difficult path. It's not an easy path, uh, but we're, that's kind of what we did. Again, a lot of it is also my, how thankful I am for my Chinese family, right? And how they were such a blessing to me and they didn't have to do that, right? But they were such a blessing to me that I felt, okay, Lord, you know, you're opening doors. I mean, just the fact that this book's become a bestseller in Taiwan, a bestseller in China, a bestseller in Indonesia and the Philippines and all these other countries, um, that's just God's grace, right? So that's, we've just kind of, try to follow his spirit. It's not that U.S. isn't important to us, FT. Of course it is. I'm American. I'm proud of our country and I always will be. But this is where the Lord has brought us and this is where the Lord has, Lord has brought a lot of fruit. So that's where we, we're just trying to follow. Yeah. Hey, by the way, to any listener who cannot afford to buy the book, I will do this. Contact me. I'll buy the book for you. <laughs> and I'll do so until I can't afford it anymore. At which point I will say, I can't afford it anymore. Uh, because they are, I think, probably uh, there might be someone listening who cannot afford to buy the book, but need That's it. Very kind of you, FT. Yeah. That's very, very kind. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you about a volume discount later. Definitely, bro. You got it. You got it. Absolutely. So I'm a say I'm a mid-level professional sitting somewhere listening to you. How do I become a tent maker? Right. I'm sitting, I'm working, I'm already working 60 hours a week. Yeah. I have a young kid. Uh, how do I become a tent maker? And how do you how do you make that a priority? Mm-hmm. All right. In a world where it's a zero-sum game. Every hour you take away, you know, every hour you invest in something, you're taking away from something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Very true, FT. And and I want to say that uh, you know, there's a time, as, as the good book says, there's a time and a season for everything. You know, I could not have been a tent maker when I was doing my master's at Harvard Business School or yes. when I, my first five years at McKinsey or when I was in Silicon Valley. I mean, I was working 60 hours a week, every single week, right, at least. So I hear you. However, I will say that I do believe there's an opportunity for service for every Christian, every Christian. And whether that's you know, serving at your church, whether that's serving at a big brother, big sister program in your town, um, whether that's maybe, uh, you know, befriending like my Chinese family did, the son of a broken family. I mean, our family was so badly broken. I, I can't even tell you, my father should have been in jail. That's, I'll just, that's where it is, right? But so there's different ways we can serve. And I think if we're attentive to the Lord, again, remember, we don't serve some dead God or some God that somebody made up a long time ago. This is the living, we serve the living and the true God, right? And the Holy Spirit, maybe he leads you to somebody, if you're a student, somebody in your class has just had a devastating personal setback. Just befriending that person, maybe bringing them cookies. Hey, come to lunch, you know, meet some of my friends, right? That is service just as much as going to, you know, going to Myanmar and, 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 and preaching the word there. So I think we have to remember that, in point of fact, we're all called to be tent makers. Yeah, and I must say, um, and people look for ministry fields uh, far away. It's really, if you live in New York, it's the neighbor across the hallway. It's the guy in the desk next to you. Uh, 
it's a guy on the street, right? It's uh, um, my son showed me this because he's always when he talks to people on the street all the time. Hey, there are a lot of people out there who would be willing to talk. So, um, yeah. So I, I agree with you. Um, so how much time do we have? I'm not very good at this. Uh, uh, yeah, we've got, we've probably got time for two more questions before we um, kind of close with some scripture and practical takeaways. So okay. do you want to go ahead and ask another question or <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. jump in and follow up if that works. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I, so I, off the, um, did you have a mentor? Did, how did you, how did you wake up and start doing this? All right. Um, for me, I did have a mentor who was a, a navigator, you know, they believe in one-on-one -on -one discipleship and he met with me once a month and, um, and really pointed me in the right direction in terms of how do, how do I spend my time? What am I prioritizing and all of that? How did you get, what, what inspired you? What led you this way? Well, for me, it was really a step-by-step -step process. The first step, of course, was becoming a Christian uh, under the, with the love and the support of my Chinese family. That was the first step. And then, you know, I, I had planned, after graduating from Dartmouth, I'd planned to go to Harvard Law School and I felt very strongly in my heart that that was not the right way. And it's not that I get those feelings every week or every month or even every year, but I did have that very strong feeling. So to my mom's chagrin, I, 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 did, I declined. I applied for a Fulbright scholarship to Asia and I won it, which was, it was much harder to get that Fulbright scholarship than it was to get into Harvard Law School that year. So um, anyway, and so, you know, doors open, you kind of listen carefully. Remember where it says in Isaiah that there will be a still small voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Now, plenty of times I've walked the wrong direction, plenty of times, but always the good Lord has kind of turned me back around and shown me this way. And just doors kept opening, things kept happening. Partners kept coming on the scene. People kept encouraging me oh, there's such a tremendous need in our country, whether it be Japan or Indonesia or Philippines or Pakistan or whatever. There's such a huge, Australia, there's such a huge need for family ministry, for fatherhood and motherhood ministry and, and marriage ministry. So that's honestly just over time, just kept moving forward. I'd love to, to follow up on the, the spiritual ROI question that yeah. you, you hinted at um, a little bit ago as well. And um, thinking about examples, whether it's in Asia or even in Silicon Valley, another place that really does need family help, I think probably. Um, do you have an example of um, a really disruptive social ROI that came out, or it's not social, spiritual ROI that you've seen through, whether it's in Asia or in, in California, um, where there's testimony or somebody in the field has just seen, or could you define spiritual ROI for us? Well, uh, if, if we look at, again, on the ministry side, the social ROI is families strengthen, marriages put back to, not put back, not that we're putting them back together, but the Lord is, mm -hmm. you know, bringing people back together, forgiving each other, giving each other another chance, you know, that's very, very important. Spiritual ROI for us is really people coming to know their heavenly father personally, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this, you know, I believe is only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. I, and I say that not having grown up in a Christian family at all. I mean, I, I don't even remember going to church when I was young, ever. Easter, maybe, but I don't remember. 
So that is our spiritual ROI. You know, I'll, I'll give you a couple of great examples um, and uh, maybe we can close on this. One is what we call the family reading of scripture. If you're a Christian family, we believe very strongly in, what, in a practice we've developed called family reading of scripture. At least once a week, maybe Sunday evening or Saturday evening, whenever, gather the family together. You get it, you and, and, and your spouse select a, an age-appropriate scripture, right? Let's not be diving into Leviticus if our kids are three years old, right? That's not gonna work, right? But get an age-appropriate scripture. If the kids can read, everybody reads just a little bit, a line or two, you pray, you read around, everybody reads, and then you discuss, and then you pray. Simple, scalable, easy to do, but huge, huge benefits for the family over time if you keep it up, right? Just, just once a week, 20 minutes, right? But you do it week after week, month after month, year after year, you grow closer with your kids, you grow closer with your spouse, you grow in understanding of each other, of the Lord, of reality, right? And huge, huge benefits. So that's something we really push. The family reading of scripture is one of our core, you know, core elements of our ministry. That's great. That's great. So uh, we usually close by asking people to just one favorite verse, bit of wisdom yeah. that people can immediately apply. But family reading of scripture is about as good as it gets to anything else <laughs> well, i always tell my my kids you know uh it, it's one we all know but you know we all we all can learn more and that's trust in the lord with all your heart don't especially for smart people i'm talking about you guys uh you know don't just lean on your own understanding yeah yeah everything you do acknowledge the lord and he promises to make straight your paths yeah that's great that's great. Um, well, thank you. Um, uh, I hope that people who listen kind of are encouraged that uh, uh, what you said about listening to the small voice in your head nagging you. I think it, we turn become experts at ignoring that voice and then suddenly 30 years have passed, right? Uh, so I would encourage people to listen to the voice um, FT, could I just mention, we really are a ministry that is founded and based on prayer. And if people would like to join us in prayer, they can learn more at the websites or Facebook. Again, it's uh, fellowshipoffathers.org, fellowshipoffathers.org, and familyfirstglobal.org. You can find us on Facebook too. I'm not pitching anything, but I'm saying if people are interested, Please, you can find out a lot more, and we'd love it if you'd like to join our, you know, global prayer fellowship. Yeah, thank you. I think, um, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. And I, I think anybody listening, you know, at any any phase of life, you know, whether they're planning forward for their families or praying for their future spouses and kids as students, or you know, trying to figure out how to guide teenagers on that path, you know, that you, we're they're trying to teach them to trust in the Lord. Um, I took a lot a lot of things away from today, and I'm really encouraged just in the opportunity to do both work and then and then serve and that God uses both he uses he's used your whole past and all of your training and um and put you in a position where you can build something that that serves really broadly beyond beyond yourself which is really amazing so I really appreciate hearing your a little bit of your story yeah it's okay. a real honor to be with you 
Yes. Uh, what, uh, are we going to end with a, a prayer? Gregory, yeah. you want to lead us? Uh, and we'll end at that. That would be a great honor. That would be a great honor. Thank you so much. Great God, Heavenly Father, Tianfu Sisimi. Lord, we just thank you and bless you. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a country where there's freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly. We can't take that for granted, Lord. That's a big deal. And we thank you for it, Lord. We pray for all the nations of the world, every single land, for, their, for rulers, for presidents, for prime ministers, because good government is so important in this world. Lord, we pray for our president, President Joseph Biden. Let's pray for him, Lord. And I pray especially for Wheaton College. What a tremendous legacy, Lord. What a fantastic history and future. And I'm thankful to be able to be uh, on this podcast. Thank you so much for our hosts. Thank you, Lord, especially for our listeners. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through, through us to the hearts of our listeners, whether they hopefully to encourage, to strengthen, to help with wisdom. It's just an honor, Lord. We thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for our families. Thank you for your kingdom and your glory. And Lord Jesus, most importantly, thank you for taking me, a poor uh, kind of semi-orphan, and uh, putting me on your path. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In your good and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.